Hey, we got some missionaries that came home this week. Missionaries, will you stand up? Because you are an excited bunch today. I'll have to ask them after the service if this was a life-changing trip and then just give them some time and hear about it. Sounds like it was awesome. Thanks for coming back. We look forward to hearing more about it. So, uh, we're in the series on the book of Acts. We're continuing that. We're in Acts 16 if you've got your Bibles with you today. Why are we talking about the book of Acts? What, what is the whole point of it? Well, the whole point of us talking about the book of Acts is we truly believe as a church that we are called as Christians to lead the culture around us, not to follow behind the culture around it, picking up the pieces or making excuses for it. And so the book of Acts is where we see what God's normal is. We get a very clear picture of the early Christian church and how they started from just from zero and where it went from there. And so we're talking about the book of Acts. We're walking through it chapter by chapter. And what we want to know is how can we be a church that helps to lead the culture around us back to a godly place and bring about cultural change that looks to Jesus rather than looks to us and just simply trying harder. So with that, we're in chapter 16, but let me explain a little bit about what's happened in the time from last week to this week. Uh, Paul and Silas are out on a mission trip. They're, they're very clearly, the Bible makes it very clear, they're being led by the Holy Spirit. There's some places they want to go and the Holy Spirit says, no, you're not supposed to go there, and, and the Holy Spirit leads them somewhere else. And they encounter in the city of Philippi a slave girl who is possessed by a spirit. And what's happening is that the spirit is speaking through her and her owners are making a handsome living because of her being possessed. So Paul and Silas encounter this young lady. They cast the spirit out of her. And the owner's upset because this was their source of income because they kind of had this one-girl circus sideshow going on. They go to the authorities and they said, He just stole our income. They stole our income. They're thieves. Paul and Silas get thrown in prison. What do they get thrown in prison for? Doing the right thing. First thing I think about is sometimes as Christians, the world isn't going to be thrilled when we do the right thing. But you know what? We need to do the right thing by God and by God's Word anyway. So we pick it up today. We've got Paul and Silas that are in jail. is isn't where they want to be, but it's, it's where they are. And, I, and I, I look at this story and I think, if, if you think that our world at times feels like it's sliding off the rails... How would you like to be Paul and Silas that simply rescue this girl, cast an evil spirit out of her that doesn't belong, bring her back to the life that God created for her, and they get thrown in jail for it? Not entirely unlike what we hear sometimes going on in our world. Acts 16, starting in verse 25, so it's about midnight. Paul and Silas are in the jail, they're in the middle part of the jail, in in the most secure part of this whole thing. Paul and Silas are praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. So it occurs to me right off the bat that I've got to come clean about something here. I've never actually gone to prison. I've never spent a night in jail. I don't know what it's like on the inside. What I do know is this strikes me as a little unusual. These guys that are kind of supposed to be the most hardened criminals of all, shackled and chained to the inside of the prison, are singing and praying. They're not complaining. They're not whining. They're they're not asking to get out. They're not looking for their one free phone call. They're not talking about how unfair it is. 
But then you go a step further and it says that the other prisoners are actually listening. They're, they're not talking about what kind of wingnuts these guys must be. Let's get rid of them. Boy, they're crazy. They're listening. They're listening as Paul and Silas are singing and praying despite the fact that they're in prison. I cannot imagine in most prisons that that's normal. But the cool thing is in God's world, that is normal because God is on the move. God is up to something and we're about to find out what it is. So I think, I think part of it for Paul, and we get a pretty good idea of who Paul is when we read about him, He's not even praying for his own release. Paul's probably not even praying that that, uh, they find out how wrong they were and they let him go. My guess is, knowing Paul the way we do from the New Testament, more than likely Paul is being thankful. Because the Bible says, you know, we're supposed to be thankful in all things, right? You don't have to be giving thanks. You don't have to be happy about it. But the Bible says give thanks. And the difference there is recognizing who's in control. And when we give thanks, we recognize that God is in control and that God is even moving in a situation that we wish wasn't. And I have to believe that what Paul is doing is giving thanks. And he's saying, God, thank you for the opportunity to reach this group of guys that I never would have had access to otherwise. Thank you that you put me here in the middle of this jail that from where I'm shackled and chained, everybody in this place can hear me. That's what Paul is probably giving thanks for. So I wonder, what about me? What would I have done? What about you? What would you have done? What what would have been your response to a circumstance and a situation that there's no reason in the world you should have been in? What is your response? Because you find yourself in those places. Things happen. People do bad stuff. We make bad choices and call it sin because that's what the Bible tells us that is. We end up in those situations, and what is our response? Do we give thanks and sing hymns? Or do we whine and complain and talk about how unfair it is? See, Paul knew that God was in control of all circumstances. And what you need to know this morning is that God is in control of all of your circumstances. Paul knows that he lives his life not for himself and his own happiness. Paul lives his life for God and for how it is that he can tell other people about him and make God known. See, Paul knows because his life has shown him this. And you need to know because the Bible promises this. God is always at work in the world. For those of us that love Him, for those of us that know God, God is moving the people and the situations and the circumstances and the places of your life around so that when God takes you from this situation and brings you to this situation, this could have never happened had you not come through this. And Paul knows that. Paul knows that in what is is one of the worst things that he could have imagined for himself, God is up to something and God is going to do something. That God is at work. And what is God's response to Paul? Verse 26. Suddenly there's a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all of the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. God decided to literally shake things up. The Bible doesn't say it felt like an earthquake. It didn't say there was a mild ruckus. It says it was a great earthquake. It really and truly was an earthquake so great that the stones of the foundation were shaken. All of the doors are opened, and all of the shackles on the ankles and on the wrists of the prisoners are broken free. Everybody is free to go. There's nothing holding them in anymore. 
God is making the statement in the middle of that prison, not just to Paul and Silas, but to everybody else, that it isn't an earthquake that caused this. God is making it very clear that the strongest prison, the heaviest shackle, is not enough to imprison and hold back someone whom God has set free. Amen? You need to put yourself in the middle of this passage. If Jesus is your Savior, I'm talking to you. If Jesus isn't your Savior, please, I want to be talking to you. There is nothing in this world that is strong enough to hold you down when Jesus has set you free. Paul and Silas are living in the middle of this, and what they're showing is that God is literally, like the song that we sang, God is literally a chain breaker. So what about you? Where are you this morning? I'm going to ask the question because I have to. You can't talk about this text and not do it. What are the chains that are holding you back? What are the things that are around your neck or over your shoulders or holding onto your wrists or just keeping you down and you feel like you can't even move? See, this passage, it isn't just to give us a story about Paul and Silas. It's to give us history of what God does. And we know that God is the same yesterday and today and forever, which means God is still doing this stuff in our world today. What are you struggling with? See, the enemy of God, Satan, wants you to struggle, struggle, struggle. The enemy of God wants you to be bound and changed and to believe there's nothing that God can do. You made your choices. You got your spot. Deal with it. That's what the enemy wants you to believe. And so maybe he's got you convinced that there's no reason for you to have confidence in anything at all. Maybe your confidence is shaken. Maybe for you what it is is something's happened and it's your faith. Maybe you're just not sure what you believe or who you believe in. Maybe what the enemy has got you questioning and shackled by what suddenly feels like a lack of faith, maybe what it is for you is that you are being weighed down by guilt or remorse or regret over a decision that you've made or something that you've done. Maybe for you the heaviest chain that you carry is a sin of your past, a mistake that you made that you can't allow yourself to move forward on. Maybe the only thing that's holding you down is your memory of something that you can't correct. Maybe for you it's that you've been sinned against or offended by somebody else. Maybe you are just, you are shackled because you are waiting for that person to come and apologize to you. I've got news for you, they probably won't. And so you've put these chains on yourself that is weighing you down and you're not living the life that God created you to live because of what someone else did and they've forgotten about it a long time ago. That's the way the enemy works. Maybe it's you not being willing to forgive. Maybe you know that you need to let someone go. You need to to forgive and move on, but you're not willing to because man alive, what they did is just, it's too much to forgive them for. That becomes a chain we can't break free of. Maybe it's a spirit of poverty. Maybe it's financial poverty. Maybe it's that God really doesn't have anything good for you, you believe. Maybe you're shackled by a relationship that doesn't have for you the compassion or the love or the commitment, or the person who you're in a relationship with, no matter what kind of a relationship it is, maybe you just don't feel like they're giving you what you deserve. And so rather than living life the way it's really in front of you, you put chains on yourself wishing that person would change. Maybe it's you're shackled by the pain of the loss of someone near and dear to you. Maybe for you it's a very different thing. Maybe it's addiction. Maybe it's addiction to alcohol. Maybe it's addiction to drugs and nobody knows all about it. Maybe you're addicted to pornography or the approval of others. Maybe for you it's that you were hurt by the church or someone in the church and you're angry with God. 
Because if God was real in your mind, that would have never happened, right? And that becomes chains and shackles that the enemy puts on us, and we never escape from them until we realize God didn't do that to you. Someone else did. And it's called sin. What are you chained down by today? Whatever it is, that song tells us and God promises us that He's a chain breaker. See, Jesus died on the cross and raised to a new life so that we could be set free. Jesus didn't die and God didn't raise Him from the grave so that you could have a better life. Jesus was raised from the grave so that you could have a completely different and new life. And so often we think, well, now I'm a Christian and nothing's changed. Well, how have you changed? How has Jesus changed you? How have you allowed Him to? Have you let Him break your chains? It isn't about having just simply a different life. It's about having a brand new life. And it isn't because you're a good person. It isn't because you try hard. It isn't because you work through 12 steps or you found a book that has six things you need to do first. The question is, have you let Jesus do for you what you cannot do for yourself? And that is to break the bondage of the chains of sin that we put on ourselves. See, when we put our faith and hope and trust in Him and Jesus, when you do that and make Jesus your personal Savior, He becomes the chain breaker. And all of that stuff that you've carried through life, you can leave at the foot of the cross and walk away from. And you can walk into a new life. The problem is, some of us don't know what that life would feel like. The only thing we know is living in hurt. The only thing we know is how to fight. The only thing we know is how to hide from our guilt or our remorse. The only thing we know is that anger and the hurt that the church caused us. And so Jesus does His part that we cannot do for ourselves, but we never fully accept it. We continue to be bound by the chains. And yet Jesus is a chain breaker, and that's not the life that He wants for you. So if I was an infomercial guy at this point, I would say, but wait, there's more! Because the story isn't over yet. <clears throat> With God, there's always more. The best is yet to come. Verse 27. When the jailer woke... So here's the thing that I think is interesting. This dude has just been through a great earthquake. The doors have blown open. All of the chains and shackles have fallen to the floor, which has to be loud. And then he wakes up. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself supposing that the prisoners had escaped. He jumped to a conclusion. He assumed the worst. He immediately decided the only thing that he could do was to take his own life. And we do the same thing, don't we? We see something that doesn't go the way that we planned or thought that it should, or someone does something that hurts us, and we immediately jump to a conclusion that we must know how this is going to end, and we make drastic responses to it, and it's almost always wrong. Am I right? This guy immediately thought of his supervisors, he thought of his job, he thought of those prisoners running, and he thought, you know what, what they're going to do to me when they find out is nothing compared to me just taking my own sword to myself. And so that's his decision. That is how it is that he is going to remedy the situation for himself. And one of the chains that Satan puts on all of us is that chain of doubt. God isn't strong enough. You're not important enough. Your sin is too great. God will never forgive that. Nobody knows that you're there. They don't really care. Satan puts that doubt in our minds, and that becomes the heaviest chain of all. Because it's really hard to work ourselves out of our own mind when Satan does that kind of stuff. The idea that we will never recover from what might have happened or what we've done. And yet if we truly believe that Jesus is a chain breaker, there's nothing 
that can keep us held down. Verse 28, but Paul cried out with a loud voice. He's yelling to this guy who's keeping him in prison. He says, do not harm yourself, for we're all here. Paul, I'm guessing, did not take a quick inventory of the prison. He didn't go through cell by cell to make sure everybody was there. Paul knew who was at work, and Paul knew it was God. And Paul knew that God was going to keep everybody right where they were. He says, hold on, buddy. Don't do what you're going to do. Everybody's here. We haven't moved. And the jailer's going, nope, because when a prison breaks open, everybody runs. But here's the thing. See, when the Holy Spirit is at work, what the Holy Spirit always does is, is brings order out of chaos. This normally would have been chaos, much like your life feels. But the Holy Spirit comes in and brings order, brings calm and peace where all we do is create chaos. Paul says, don't do it. We're all here. It's this man that's responsible for making sure that Paul, who is wrongly is in, imprisoned, is in jail, is about to take his own life. And Paul's response to it is say, hey, buddy, don't do it. There's no reason. Nobody's left. Nobody's going to walk out on your watch. Just hang tight. Sit where you are. Verse 29, And the jailer called for the lights, and he rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. This man that has a sword is responsible for this prison full of prisoners. He hears Paul's voice, and he walks into this room. And he takes a look at these two men. And rather than reaching out and making sure they don't go anywhere, he falls to his knees. Why? Because he knows that he is in the presence of something far greater than just Paul and Silas. He knows that in the midst of all of this, something is going on that he's never seen and that he can't understand. See, he'd witnessed Paul and Silas earlier praying and singing hymns. He knew these were not ordinary men. See, their witness had begun a long time ago. It didn't start with this earthquake. The witness of Paul and Silas to this jailer began the moment that they were imprisoned, the moment that he put the shackles on their ankles and on their hands. That was when their witness began. Now, their testimony is one of peace and thankfulness and hymn singing despite their situation. Years ago, my dad told me something I've never forgotten, and it's, it's absolutely true. He says, Steve, you've got to earn the right to be heard. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what title you hold. It doesn't matter what position you have. You've got to earn the right to be heard. I've come to understand that as a Christian, people watch how we live, and they see what we believe long before they're willing to listen to what we say and do what we do. What's the testimony of your life? What is the witness that you give to the people around you of your faith and what you believe? See, we're a show-me people. We want to see somebody else's truth before we listen to it. You know the old phrase, do as I say, not as I do? It doesn't work for a Christian. Let me show you how I live, and then let me tell you what I have to say. That's the way the world works. My question is, are you living in thankfulness, despite the circumstances you might in, might be in, or... or Are you one of those folks that just grumbles and complains and tries to figure out a way to do something different all by yourself? Maybe you're one of those Christians that spouts Bible verses one moment and turns around and complains and gossips the next. What's the witness of your life? What's what's your testimony? Are you one of those folks that expects people around you to understand and forgive every time you do something wrong while you're the one that returns that with judgment and impatience? Or are you leading that charge of what it is to be an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven. And you're showing understanding and forgiveness and grace and mercy. Who are you? How do you live? What would the people around you say about you? 
Verse 30. The jailer brought them out and he said, Sirs, it's quite a change in address from prisoners, isn't it? Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. As I studied this this week, that struck me as an interesting question. Paul and Silas haven't said anything about being saved, have they? Do you know how the man knew to ask that question? Because what they sang about, what they talked about, and what they prayed about were consistent with that question. They were not the same people. They were not just doing their thing, hoping for the best result. They no doubt talked about Jesus and what it is to be saved, what it is to be given a new life in Him. He knew that question because he had heard them. More than anything else, what that man wants is what Paul and Silas have because they were a living testimony to God's power and faithfulness even though they were literally bound in chains and locked up. And he says, what must I do to be saved? You know, you've heard me say this before, and I absolutely believe that it's true. When you talk about your life, there's two ways you can do it. If you talk about your life and you're the hero of your own story, if you talk about your life and you tell people how smart you are and how talented you are and how great you are and how amazing you are and you want to get to know me because I'm the most awesome thing in the world, that's called a, a resume and a bunch of baloney for that matter. When you're the hero of your story, it's called a resume. But when God and Jesus as your Savior is the hero of your story, it's called a testimony. As Christians, we ought not be in the business of resumes. That's when you apply for a job. As Christians, we should be all about building and sharing our testimony. And it isn't necessarily what we do. It's what God does among us. It's what we see, what we witness, what we have the privilege of seeing firsthand and being a part of. That becomes our testimony. Paul and Silas were a living testimony. So are you living for Him or are you living for you? If you're living for you, you're building a resume. If you're living for Jesus, you're building a testimony. Verse 32, And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. They didn't preach to him. They didn't go on and on and on and tell him about all the things he'd done wrong and how he had to change his life. And here's your sin and here's your sin and here's your sin. You've got to clean all that stuff up. That's not what they did. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. They talked about the free gift of eternal salvation. They talked about the forgiveness of sins that's offered through Jesus' death and resurrection. They didn't preach to him verse by verse through the Bible, helping him memorize things. They pointed to Jesus. They shared the truth of who Jesus is and who they knew him to be and how he could know them personally. He could know Jesus personally as well. What's the guy's response? Verse 33. He took them the same hour of the night and he washed their wounds and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. I love the order of things there. Don't let this slip past you. The first thing he did was took them and washed their wounds that no doubt he had been a part of making. He washed the blood off of the open sores where they had been cut and possibly beat. He washed all of that off of them. And then they took him and his family and they washed them free of all their sin. You see that? That guy did what he knew how to do was clean them up because he felt bad. And then Paul and Silas did what he really needed. They took he and his family and they washed them free of all of their sin. They baptized them. So often we get focused on the outside stuff when really what we need to be concerned about is what it is that's going on the inside. The Bible says God cares about our heart. God doesn't care about what you say about yourself. God cares about who you are and what you do and how you love. Verse 34, 
Then he brought them up into his house and he set food before them and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. That's why when we do baptisms, we bring cupcakes. And it sounds silly, but there's something about eating together that we celebrate the people who go out into that water and they, they step out of that water when they come up. They come into a new life. And we gather around them as family and we celebrate just like what they did after this baptism. And it sounds silly, but you know what? There's a biblical reason why we do that. One of the things that we do as a church is we celebrate together. We worship together as family and we mourn together as family. This guy understood immediately that he wasn't alone. Suddenly he had family around him. Who's your family? Do you have a church family who understands what you're going through and loves you through it? So let me ask you a question. In this passage, who was really the one in chains? Was it really Paul and Silas who were in the middle of the prison, bound hand and foot to the floor? Or was it the jailer who was so afraid he was going to take his own life? I'll tell you the one who was really in bondage was that jailer. And they know it. They knew it, and that's why they did what they did. Paul and Silas were in chains, yes, but the jailer was trapped in his own fear and his own doubt. Paul and Silas knew who was in control. They knew no fear. They knew joy, and they knew thanksgiving. They knew that God was in control. This jailer, all he knew was rules. He knew fear. He knew doubt. And he knew that he was in trouble. So much so that he believed that taking his life was the only suitable response to the situation. So what about you? We can hear this and be interested, and it's a fine story, but what are the chains that you've allowed on you? Because that's what we do. It's sin. It isn't a mistake. It isn't just a bad decision. It's our sinfulness. Let's face it. That's the word. I hear so many pastors, and I want to vomit. They talk about your mistake, but it's okay. It's sin. Let's call it what it is. Jesus didn't die for your mistakes. Jesus died for our sins. And when we sin, those chains start heaping up on us. And we heap them up and we add more and more and more. And rather than dealing with them the way that God has given us to deal with them, which is through Jesus, we just add more and more to it and try to fix ourselves, and it just falls apart. So this morning, maybe you're here and you're hearing all this for the first time. Maybe it's the thousandth time that you've heard this. But are you ready to break free of the chains? Are you ready to let go and move on of the stuff that you've been carrying through your life? So I'm going to ask you not to say a word out loud, but answer yourself honestly. What do you need to let go of? What do you need to forgive and be forgiven of? What do you need to heal from? What do you need to confess? What do you need to stop doing? What do you need to address honestly that's causing you to be bound as though your hands and feet are chained to the floor. Maybe today, maybe right now is your moment. Maybe right now is the chance that God is calling you here today to allow Jesus to be your chain breaker. See, I know people because I'm I'm one of you. That feeling that for some of you is stirring up in your gut right now, that isn't breakfast. It's the Holy Spirit convicting and nudging you. And, and what we're trained to do, and I know this because it happens at a store. You go into a store to buy something, the salesperson comes and says, can I help you? And what do we say? No, I'm just looking. No, you're not. You're there to buy something. 
God has you here this morning for a reason. And maybe your reason is that you need to let all those chains fall off and just give them to Jesus. So I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. I'm not going to ask you to stand. I know better than that. But I'm going to ask you to pray with me. And if today is your day, if, if this moment is your moment, just make this prayer your own. It doesn't have to be elaborate. It doesn't have to be fancy. But you know what? God sets appointments with His people, and maybe today is your day. Maybe you've carried it long enough, and you've tried hard enough, and all the load is doing is getting heavier. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank You that You are a God who sets appointments with Your people. You set appointments with Your children, whether we believe and put our faith and hope and trust in You or not. And we know that's true because You love us right where we are, God. In fact, You love us so much that You don't let us stay where we are. God, thank You for Jesus. Thank You for what He did out of obedience to You on the cross and dying for our sins, that when You raised Him from the grave to a new life, we too might be welcomed into a new life. God, when we sin, we choose those chains that shackle us. But we know that through Jesus, we're redeemed we're redeemed by the death and the resurrection of Your Son. God, for all of us who believe, and maybe for some it's their very first time right now in this moment, God, we want to be prisoners no more. We don't want to be held by the enemy. We want to be held by You. We can't keep trying because it doesn't matter how much we do. It is never going to be enough. But You gave us the free gift of Jesus. And the forgiveness of our sins was not free. It cost Him His life. But just as You raised Him to new life, God, You want to raise us to a new life too. Not just a better life, but a new life. God, to everyone who desires to make Jesus our Savior, God, we ask that our chains would be broken and that we would be set free. And God, we know that because of what Jesus did on the cross... It is not us who are the ones who are arrested. It is the power of sin and death. For it is your enemy, it is Satan, it is sin and death that you defeated on the cross. When Jesus rose from the grave, they had no power anymore. God, when Jesus arose and walked out of the grave to new life, it was nothing less than our freedom that he carried. It was our freedom that he carried in his hands. And all that you ask is that we accept that gift. God, to everyone whose hearts are beating, who isn't sure what to do next, God, I just pray they would lay down all of the stuff that we're fighting to hold on to, lay it at the foot of the cross, and accept Jesus, your Son, as their Savior. It's in His name that we pray. Amen. If you prayed that with me, uh, we've got prayer ministry. We'll be up here after the service. I'd love the chance to talk to you. In the back, we've got Pastor Rich. Jeff is going to be there. Patrick, I think, is still around somewhere. You know, you don't go it alone. We are a family, and we walk through this stuff together, and we would love to take the next step of your God journey with you. i got news for you. You're not a fixer-upper. God wants to transform you, not patch up the holes. He wants to make you a whole new person. Jesus loved you and He died for your sins so that you wouldn't have to live and die in your sins. Whatever it is that you're carrying, whatever that junk and garbage and chains and all of that is, 
You know, just lay it down and give it to Jesus and accept the free gift and the freedom that he offers. I think about that passage and I think uh, when those guys walked out of jail, if you, were in, if you were in jail, if you were in prison and you knew you didn't belong there and they let you out, you would not walk out the door and go, yeah. You'd walk out the door and go, yeah. Some Christians worship with their hands up because we're free. Live like someone who is free. And if you're not, and if Jesus isn't your Savior, please, please, plug yourself into a Bible-teaching church so that you can hear who He really is and how much He really loves you because we want you, too, to live free. We're going to finish up that song. We're going to go through the rest of it one more time. Thank you for coming this morning. We're going to be back here next week, 8.30 and 10.30, all over again. I want you to remember one thing. Jesus loves you too much to let you stay right where you are. Jesus loves you. Thanks for coming, folks. Have a great week.